0: September 29, 2013 in Kona, Hawaii. <laughs> well, that was Krishna knocking over the two trees. Yeah. <laughs> That's the second one. And you know, the first time it happened was exactly when it was big Krishna knocking over the two trees. Perfect timing. <laughs>
1: Concept. Go ahead, don't mind me. And, and this woman is a beautiful incarnate as well. I uh, learned that she has three children and 12 grandchildren. And I think that that's quite remarkable, having a grandmother myself. I actually have two grandmothers. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know it surprises all of
0: you.
1: She's traveled internationally. She's a professor of sociology um, and uh, in Belgium, and that is amazing because I don't detect any type of, of speech difference other than you have been in the United States. That's, that's pretty amazing. She's done this for 27 years, elementary and high school. She has 83 books, I can hardly count that high, and uh, for, for children, uh, school chanting, mantra meditations, her, her latest book, is that here by, is, is, are we selling that here? You
0: can get it from Amazon.
1: You can, okay, okay. It's called The Great Mantra for Mystic Meditation. Great Mantra for Mystic Meditation. And that sounds quite remarkable. And I'm just once again, I'm in such deep gratitude that even I don't have anything to say. So please. Stay
0: <laughs> <on>. <laughs> so it's very, it's very wonderful to be here. And I thought today we could meditate on the invocation for one of the Upanishads, the invocation mantra. It's interesting. There's a school in London called the St. James School which is a very interesting school. If you ever go to London, if you're interested in spiritual education, I would strongly suggest you check it out. But the little kids there told me they call this the perfect mantra. So it goes, Om Purnam Adha Purnamidam, Purnat Purnat shite, Purnasya Purnam Adaya, Purnam Eva Vsish Shite. Lots of Purnams in there. Mm-hmm. So Purnam means complete, or it can also mean perfect. The literal translation of this mantra is, this is complete, that is complete. When you take the complete away from the complete, still the complete remains. And it's a very succinct description of truth and reality. That truth is complete. And even if you take something complete away from the truth, the truth is still complete. So we wanted to meditate on love and unconditional love. So we can talk about unconditional love in the sense that I fully know who you are and I love you anyway (laughs) and always. Generally in this world, we first of all do not show who we really are. This world is called in Sanskrit, Maya which is roughly translated as illusion. Literally, it simply means that which is not. And we are all pretending in this world to be something we are not. On the very existential level, we're all pretending to be this body, which we most certainly are not. i just like, I don't think I was ever quite cute, but I was little and cute like the little girl in the dance, although as I say, not quite that cute. But I'm nowhere near that cute anymore My body has changed And it's not just that it's blown up like a balloon It's a different body (laughs) You know, if we took all of our baby pictures And put them here and tried to match them up It would be a struggle Mm -hmm. It's a different body All the cells have changed Yet we say, this is me That's an illusion, that which is not And then we have so many What's called in Sanskrit upadis I am this, I am that, I am the other thing I know this I am good at this, I am this kind of person. And those are all temporary flickering things. They're really like identities in a drama. Just like we saw this dance drama of Krishna and Mother Yasoda. So you take on this identity in the drama and then you take on another identity, another identity, another identity. So where is the honesty? And I think that most of us, at least me, maybe all of you, I don't know, we have a big difference between our ideal self and the self we work with on a regular basis. You know, I have my ideal Ormula somewhere up there, who's a really nice person, and then I have the Ormula that I live with every day, who's not always such a nice person. You know, who doesn't? I don't always live up to my ideals. I can start off the day saying, "Okay, I'm going to be really nice and compassionate to everybody," and then an hour later, I'm not nice and compassionate to somebody. So first we talk about being fully honest, but this is a world of dishonesty, so that's a problem. Most of us, I think I could say, are not even fully honest with ourselves. In the Sanskrit works, it says that the conditioned soul has four defects, one of them is cheating the tendency. The main person who cheat is ourselves. Being honest with oneself is extremely difficult. What to speak of, is there anybody we go to and say, look, this is really all of who I am. I don't know. Even my very best friends, I don't know if I reveal everything that I am. So that's the first difficulty. We talk about unconditional love, being completely honest. And then there's another difficulty with unconditional love, and that is we do have conditions. The practical reality is we do have conditions. There are certain things that if the person we love does them, or says them, if we're gonna still love, it's gonna be from a long way away. (laughs) You know, we're we're not gonna say that we really can't say honestly, again, talking about honesty, we really can't say honestly, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, I'm still gonna stay a few centimeters away from you and love you without change. We know That only love that's completely honest and completely unconditional is real love. And we know only that will make us realize and live the completeness that is the truth. Even if we pretend we don't know that, we pretend that it's just, and it's interesting that none of you said these things, money and fame and good works and (laughs) having my statue up in the park, is the essence of life. We're taught that in school, aren't we? Strange school system. So, we're taught that in school. That success means I have a respectable career and a lot of money and a house in Hawaii, right. <laughs> but I think in heart, everyone, even the person who just you know goes to their job, punches in their time clerk, comes home, turns on the football game, grabs a beer, has some sex, and go to bed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even the person who lives like that at heart knows that the only way to be complete is honest, unconditional love. But how do we get honest, unconditional love? First of all, we don't even want to be completely honest. And second of all, we're not unconditional. What do we do? If that's where our completeness lies, which it does, what do we do? So let's examine, well, why... Why are we less than honest and why are we not unconditional? And it's because we have this illusion of being incomplete. We have this illusion, again, that which is not. We think, I'm incomplete. I need something. And that seems to be the reality. I seem to need air. I mean, how long can I live without air? I seem to need nice temperature. I always ask people, what's the physiological need after air? And people guess water. It's like, not right. You don't live for 10 days without water. It's temperature, which is one of the reasons we like it here. I, I tell people when I go to other parts of the world, you know, in Hawaii, you don't need to have AC or heater. You don't need to have insulation in your walls. So it's like, oh. it's <laughs> going to be <the> cold. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So we can th- see that's need. I'm lacking. If I don't have the air and the proper temperature and water and food, I'll die. And, and I, I seem to be lacking so many things. And I seem to be lacking so many things for which I appear to be dependent on something that's external to myself that's outside of my control. And I seem to be dependent on how the people who I want to unconditionally love and who I want to unconditionally love me... I seem to be dependent on how they treat me and how they act for my happiness. And therefore, with this feeling of lack, my mood is, there's not enough, and therefore I have to get. My mood becomes, my relationship with you, I talk about unconditional love, and I work at it, and I try to do it, but there's this angst that I have to get from you. Or I'm not going to have something. I'm not going to be complete. I have to take something from you. I have to take from the world. I have to take breath from the world. I have to take temperature from the world. I have to take water from the world. I have to take caring from you. And then I'm filled with fear. Three things. I might not get it at all. I might not get it at all. I might get it, and I don't like it. Do you? Right? You go to the internet, find something you like, research for a week, and you find you press the button and you buy it, and it comes, and you're like... <sighs> <Yep. laughs>
1: and we're afraid that's going to happen, right? first thing we're afraid of is,
0: I just won't get it. It won't happen. I'll need something. I won't get it. I'll be without. Or I'll get it. And I still won't really have gotten it. I'll get it. And it's like, oh, it's not what I want. Or I get it. And it's perfect. I always give the example. I had a van like this. I had a Toyota van. It was a refurbished cargo van. We bought it used. That was great. You could put the seats all the way down flat. There were screens in the windows. So you could camp out in the van. And it had enough room for luggage. Great gas mileage. Turned on a dime. Love that van. Perfect vehicle. And one day, my daughter and I were driving. Some guy was late to work, and we didn't stop at the stop sign, and that was the end of the was... So that's our other fear, is the things we get them, they're perfect. They're temporary. When am I going to lose them? Right? You find the perfect pair of shoes, and when they wear out, they don't make them anymore. So we're filled with this fear. I'm lacking, I'm insufficient, I need something outside of myself to make me complete. And those things I need, I might not get them at all. Or I might get them and they'll disappoint me. Or I'll get them and they'll be perfect and then I'll lose them. And that's how we see reality. We see reality as a struggle for insufficient resources which often fail to satisfy. And when they satisfy, they're temporary. We see the world as a very aggressive place. And therefore... However much we want unconditional love, we don't end up living that. We end up living basically a very antagonistic experience where I'm trying to get and you're trying to get. I think there's not enough and you think there's not enough and therefore I'm trying to get something from you and you're trying to get something from me. And we sort of kind of work out a contract. But each of us is thinking that we want just a little more than even... Mm -hmm. I want to get just a little more than I'm giving it. And we sort of keep score. They even have books like this, how do men keep score, how do women keep score. You know, we're kind of keeping score. And, ooh, you know, okay, I've been giving a lot lately, but I haven't gotten much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we mm-hmm. stop giving. And so we're stuck in this disconnect between what I know is going to give me completeness and satisfaction. I know it. Everybody knows it. This is not some sort of secret. Everybody knows it. So I say, even the, you know, just go to work in the factory and drink the beer and have sex and go to sleep guy. He's singing the songs too about I'm going to love you forever. Right? Everybody sings those songs. I'm going to love you till the stars don't shine and there's no mountain too high and no river too wide to keep getting me. Everybody, we know that. But yet, living it seems almost impossible. And we try this and that and this and that adjustment and, okay, I'm going to be totally forgiving and. I'm totally accepting and then there's something that we just can't seem to accept we can't seem to forgive we can't seem to live and we say why is there this limit why I, I can give and I can forgive and I can love and I can accept and it's beautiful and then I hit a point where somehow I can't and maybe I can try and get that point higher and higher and higher but there's still a point at which I fail." Why is that? It's because we have a fear. When our sense of lack is threatened enough, we go to, what about me? You know, we can be honest people, but if our sense of existence is threatened enough, we'll be dishonest. We'll will will see. Yes? Anybody here willing to say I'm absolutely, totally honest the only way to really have unconditional love that deeply satisfies us, there's a nice verse in Sanskrit from the Bhagavad Gita. Mm-hmm. says, Savai Pum Sam Parodharma Yito Bhakti Arhokshu Chani Ahoituki Aprithi Yita Yad Yatma Supersediti. Atma means the self. Supersediti means completely satisfied. He said, so what is that dharma? What is that activity? What is that nature that completely satisfies us? It's bhakti. Bhakti is total, unconditional So how do we get there? The only answer is that we have to realize the truth that we're connected with the complete. There just isn't another answer. As long as we feel incomplete, as long as we have this illusion, it's not true. As long as we persist in this illusion that I'm incomplete and I'm lacking, then we're going to be full of fear, and then we cannot be fully giving in all circumstances and fully loving in all circumstances. It is a proportional thing. So the more that you understand that you're connected with the complete, the more giving and loving you can be. It's not an on-off thing. If someone feels completely separate and distinct from everyone and completely lacking and sees the world totally in terms of friends and enemies, they can't practically love anybody, even themselves. And if you start moving in that direction of realizing that we're connected, then you become more and more forgiving and more and more loving and more and more joyful and more and more peaceful. But what, we will not be satisfied unless we're fully connected. So it doesn't really matter what name you put on the religious system or the philosophical system. I mean, there are some religious and philosophical systems that are not religious and philosophical symptoms at all. They're just developed by somebody who make money But anything that's genuine is basically saying the same thing in whatever language. You've got to reconnect. The whole word yoga means to connect. We can think of it like your hand. My hand is complete. It's a complete hand, but it's a complete hand because it's connected with my body. If it's cut off from my body, it will appear to be a complete hand, but it will have lost its function. It will have lost its ability to enjoy, and it will have lost its function, although it appears to be. And if the hand tried to complete itself by grabbing things, if you tried to put things in a disconnected hand, it would always feel insufficient. It has to be connected to the body. So we are connected to the body. We cannot be separated from the body. There's another nice verse in the Bhagavad Gita. jiva Krishna says, everyone is eternally connected. So it's really a question of being willing to see that, being willing to live in that. Once we acknowledge, once we experience Krishna also says prajakshava mandama, projection means direct experience, like I touch this. That's projection. So once you have projection, direct experience, that you are connected, that we are connected. We're connected with the complete, which is so complete that you can take something complete away from it and still it's complete. Then there's no lack. Then there's no illusion of lack. There's no illusion of insufficiency. The way I, I think of it sometimes this was due to a direct experience I have. I, I think of it like a a basin of in, in the ground. all you have to do. You don't don't really have to do it separately. It's not not two different things. As soon as you remove this fear and this illusion that I am separate, then immediately you're filled. And it's a fullness that, like David said in the Bible, it's an overflowing fullness. When we try to enjoy in a separate state, we don't experience this overflowing fullness. When we try to enjoy in in an illusion of separateness. We have satiation without satisfaction. It's like if you have your favorite food, pizza. Let's say you need, like pizza, and you eat pizza for breakfast and for dinner and for lunch and breakfast Good. and lunch and dinner and breakfast. You'll become satiated. You and, and eventually you'll become even disgusted.
1: You know? You're like,
0: no more pizza. Give <laughs> 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 me a break. Give me a Give me a well not I wouldn't be that. <laughs> But then but but you don't get full satisfaction. You can't say that the best pizza, or the best sex, or the best wave, sorry, or the best sunset gives me total, absolute, on every level, satisfaction, on every sense, forever, unbounded. No, it doesn't. It's not full satisfaction, it's partial satisfaction. But you can say she. Didn't. So you get partial satisfaction temporarily, but you say, I've had it. So that's what's experienced in the illusion of separateness state. When one has the reality of connection, then one gets satisfaction without satiation. So in the illusion of separateness, we get satiation without satisfaction. When we see the reality of connection, we get satisfaction without satiation. One is fully satisfied, one is fully full, completely full. In every sense, in the Gita it says it feels like every sense is illuminated with knowledge. All the entrances and exits to the body are illuminated with knowledge. The mind is illuminated with knowledge of what? That I'm connected. And in that state, Krishna says, there's boundless transcendental happiness. It it, it keeps going. One's fully satisfied, but you never say, Oh, I've had enough. You can keep getting more and more, but at the same time, you're fully satisfied. And because it's overflowing, instead of feeling a lack, you're feeling not sufficient. You're feeling a surplus. In fact, so much of a surplus, you don't even know what to do with it. Just an overflowing, overflowing, my cup runneth over. In that state, my dear friends, one can love unconditionally. And only in that state, there's no limit. There's no place where you become afraid for your self-preservation, because you know I'm eternal, I'm an eternal being, and I'm always full and I'm always connected. I can't experience any harm. There's no point at which one becomes unforgiving. I'm full. I have everything I need in in surplus beyond. What I, what I even can need. I mean, ironically, even in the illusion of separateness, we really do have more than we need. I mean, who needs 40 kinds of apples?
1: <laughs>
0: and 40 kinds of mangoes? Me. <laughs> I mean, we don't really need it. It's a surplus. It's a surplus. <laughs> So even in an illusion of separateness, even the person just, you know, I'm just going to work and I never think about these things, even that person is the person. What to speak of when we realize the connection and we experience that you can take the complete away from the complete, and still the complete remains. Mm-hmm. There's always a circle. Now, for this connection with the complete to be realized in completeness, we see that the complete whole has all aspects, including personality. So sometimes I read what people will say, the universe has a sense of humor. I think, well, if the universe had a sense of humor, then there would have to be personality. So when we say complete, we mean personality we mean individuality. Connection, but individuality. And isn't that also ultimately what we want? When we say husband, wife, or lovers become one, there's full union. Does that mean I'm not me anymore? Or the mother and the child? You know, the baby in the womb, the baby at the best. There's this sense of union, but yet there's individualities. For there to be love, there has to be the lover, the beloved and love, the medium between them. So when we get a complete understanding of the complete, we understand that it's not simply a merging with the light and with knowledge, but it is love. And for there to be loved, there must be a lover, a beloved and the medium of exchange. And only in this way do we feel fully satisfied. And when I have that with the Supreme, who among many, many thousands of names I call Krishna, which something means is the most attractive, but he has unlimited names. And he has, as you saw in this nice dance, the male and female, Radha and Krishna. When we have that love, then we can love everyone. If we try to love everyone without first having that connection, we will fail. Somebody may fail at a small thing, and some people may take a whole lot to fail, but we will fail. We'll have a point at which we go, I can't do this anymore. And we become disappointed with ourselves and say, why can't I be fully and completely the person I want to be? But when we get this right first, then we can be the lover of everyone. Krishna calls himself Suridam Sarva butanam. Sarva means all. Bhutanam means life. Surid, Ridd means heart. Su means very dear to. He says, I, I have, everyone is very dear to me. And he says, those who connect, they're also like that. Suridam Sarva dehinam. They're also the dear. You can love everyone. That doesn't mean you live in the same room with everyone, but you can love everyone. Without any conditions. You don't need to have any conditions because you don't need anything because you're complete. That doesn't mean you deal with everybody exactly the same way. Right? Doesn't mean you're a fool. Doesn't mean you invite a polar bear in for dinner. You sleep with a tiger. Doesn't mean you're a fool. But you have no conditions on your love. And no conditions on forgiveness. And you don't need anybody's behavior, anybody's affirmations, anybody's anything to feel fully satisfied, which means you're loving simply to love, because you want to, because it's wonderful, and you're doing it out of freedom. So that is the essence of of and that is what we're aiming for. It's a shame that in most religious and spiritual systems, including the one that I'm a member of, these things degrade over time. It starts out like that. Someone comes and teaches these things, and after a while it becomes about big buildings and fancy costumes and positions and power and titles and being a good person in society, (laughs) which is nice. We're all for being a good person in society, but that's not what spirituality is So we have to keep reminding ourselves what it's really about, just like you have to keep cleaning your room. We have to keep reminding in human society, we have to keep giving out the message, wait a minute, spirituality is not about sectarianism, it's not about this is my religion and your religion and you know we're going to have a football game and see who wins, (laughs) or worse than that, a war, you know, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) And it's not about my rituals versus your rituals. Or my specifics of dogma versus your specifics of dogma. It's not about having power and position in the name of religion. It's not what it's about. It's about realizing truth.
1: So, I'll thank you very much. So, what is your program then? <laughs> well, after all that, we want to collect some money. <laughs> <laughs>